This, this, this is a season of reason. That your faith, what you believe in, is rooted in historical events that have taken place. And that's what we're going to look at tonight for Christmas Eve. Okay? Very, very important. So we'll reflect and we'll, and we'll look deeply. It reminds me, Christmas Eve is when many come to church. It reminds me of the story. There was a small town where they had burglaries that took place almost constantly on Christmas Eve. That was the one time of the year where burglaries picked up because they knew all of the Christians were at church, Christmas Eve services. And this guy had broken into this house, and he's looking around. He's pulling presents out from under the tree, and he hears these words, Jesus is watching you. He was startled. And he used to go to church as a little boy. He said, that must be in the memory of my Sunday school classes. It's a Sunday school teacher who's just talking to my heart. So he's still looking around, and he's grabbing presents from under the tree, and he hears it again, Jesus is watching you. So he's really startled. He turns the flashlight, and he's trying to figure out, who's, who's, who is this? And he flashes, and he sees a parrot. And he says, who are you? What, what is your name? The parrot says, my name is Moses. The guy chuckles, and he says, what, what kind of people name their parrot Moses? The parrot says, the same kind of people that name their pit, pit bull Jesus. And he's watching I don't know. Jesus is watching. Yes? Amen? 1 John 1, 1 to 4. That's our passage. It's not a typical Christmas passage. No angels, no shepherds, but it's the deepest message for Christmas. The Christ of Christmas. Let's take a look. 1 John 1, 1 to 4. Here now, the Word of God. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And may God add His rich blessing to His inspired and errant fallible board. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident we're here tonight. Everyone by divine appointment. Speak now into each heart. Meet each heart in its place of deepest need. Speak your words of life. Father, whether here in this sanctuary or by way of the internet as we live stream, we know that there are some who have never been in relationship with you. Even some who have come to church regularly. Make this a word of salvation. Raise them from death to life. Give the gift of repentance and faith. And we know there are many in the midst of storm winds that are blowing. Make it a word of comfort and peace. And Lord, for the tired, weary, and heavy laden, a word of rest, all things to all people, that some might be saved. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Christ of Christmas. Three headings, very simple. We'll just talk through it. And then we'll close. Number one, God with us. 
This is important. Number two, God for us. And finally, number three, God in us. Before we look at these three headings, I just want you to see something in this passage. This is really important. This is one of the most powerful passages of the Christmas story. This is coming from John, right? John, one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's 50, 60 years now since Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, gone back into glory. It's 90 AD, maybe 95, somewhere in there. It's not an exact science. But John's on the Isle of Patmos. Remember, John wrote five of the New Testament books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1, 2, 3 John, those letters, and then Revelation. This is powerful, and I want to show it to you. And then we'll hit those three points, okay? And then we will leave. 1 John 1, 1 to 3. It echoes John 1, the Gospel of John, and it echoes the beginning of the Bible. When you open the Gospel of John, you read, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All of these are echoes, but it goes further than that. This letter from John echoes John 1, and John 1 echoes Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're going all the way back, not just to the beginning, but before the beginning. Before there was any time, space, or matter. There was God. There was nothing but God. And then God spoke all that we see into existence. And John is testifying that this one, this Christ of Christmas, was there before the beginning. He's the one that was promised. Okay? I want you to see. Take a look at a few of these words. That's why we have a very reasonable and rational faith. There are a multiplicity of religious worldviews, all different kinds. The Christian worldview is the only one that is rooted in historical events that have taken place in time and space. The only one. And there's one other point that's important to make. Every other religious leader, listen to me very carefully, everyone, no need to mention any of the names. They all told their followers that we know the way to eternal life. We can show you how to attain eternal life. We can show you exactly what you need to do to receive eternal life. Jesus is the only one who said this. I didn't come to show you or to teach you. Or to proclaim to you, I am the way. Period. So where every other religious leader was going to show their followers how to get Jesus, says, no, no, no. I'm the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father. There's no eternal life apart from me. That's the claim. So listen to what John does. Look at this. I've highlighted the words that are important. You ready? That which was from the beginning. So there you go. From the beginning, or the beginning, the beginning not of just creation, but before creation. That which was from the beginning. Now he's going to testify, he's going to give a testimony as if he's in a court. He's giving a deposition, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, and then he goes further. I could see you from a distance, but now this next, which we have looked at, we beheld. Now he's, they, they, they have engaged closely. They were interacting with this person. We have heard, we have seen, we have looked at, and our hands have touched. We've touched him. Stay with me. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, okay? Not the way to life, not the hope of life. This is the word of life, okay? The, 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 the Greek philosophers understood what was called logos, this, 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 this concept of, of, of something out there that was in control of all things, this, this force and this power. They, they knew things didn't just happen. We didn't crawl out of a bubbling cesspool of amino acids 10 billion years ago. They knew there was design and there was order and there was, there was logos. But John opens the gospel and says, this is logos. Logos is not a principle. It's not a philosophy. Logos is a person. And his name is Jesus. So John is claiming we have seen him, we have, we have heard him, we have touched him. Then he goes on. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. The wreath, circular, no beginning and no end. The eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. There never was a time where he was not. When he said in John, before Abraham was, I am, there never was a time that he was not. Some who say that they believe, listen carefully, no names, but some who say they believe Jesus is the Son of God, they believe he was created as the Son of God. He's not eternal. Well, that changes everything. If he's not eternal, he's not God. That doesn't work for me. Many say, well, these are our brothers. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's not the Son of God. Son of God is eternal with the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. What finite mind can understand that? He was not created. In his flesh, begotten of the Father, he has come forth. Begotten from the grave, he has come forth as as the firstborn of all fruits. But he is eternal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal. Okay? John is testifying to this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. This is eyewitness accounting. We saw this. We heard it. We touched it. We lived with him. This isn't some story that was passed down from generation to generation. This is what we lived. This is so powerful from John. And then he says this. Don't miss this. So that you may have what? Fellowship. You may have, I'll touch on that in in a moment. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Just want to show you one piece of commentary on this so that you can see how powerful this really is. Ready? Robert Yarbrough, professor of New Testament at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. These are his words. Listen to this. John is not making a conversation He's swearing a deposition. The variety of verbs correspond to the variety of witness attestations in ancient jurisprudence. He's testifying to the truth. As if he's standing in a court of law with his hand on the scripture. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. This is what we touched. This is what we testify to. Not a story that's been passed on. This is eyewitness testimony. Okay? 
All right, now, the three points, and we're going to see. Remember the fellowship part. You're going to see how important this is. You ready? Number one, God with us. Number one, Isaiah 7, 14. This is important now, how all of this fits together. The three most important aspects to every single heart that has ever beat. Because remember this. There's no difference between you and any other person in the world from the perspective that we are all image bearers of God. Yes? What does that mean? Every single person has dignity and worth and value. Everyone. Every single person who has ever been born is an image bearer of God. So that gives everybody equal value and equal worth. It also tells us something as we go out and share Jesus with the world. That means that we're all wired the same way at the deepest level. Yes? We all desire the same things, even if we don't acknowledge it, even if we say that we don't, because we know that we're made in the image of God. So watch, the most important part, God with us, we're made for relationship. Here we go. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The fulfillment is in Matthew chapter 1, 22 and 23, and when you get to the end of that, the virgin will give birth and call him Emmanuel. Then it, then it defines Emmanuel, which is God with us. Okay? Understand? Why is that important? Why is God with us important to you, to anyone? You remember, in the, so that's why you have to put all of Scripture together. You've got to go back to the beginning. When you go back to the beginning in the creation account, what do we read in the creation account? God created all these things and everything was good, 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 good. Yes? Nod your heads. But then God said something was bad. What was bad? Man to be alone. What does that tell you? Every single person that you have ever met or ever will meet is wired for relationship. It's not good for man to be alone. It didn't necessarily mean marriage because in heaven there'll be no marriage. You'll be married to Jesus. Adam and Eve were married. That, that, first, first man and first woman, I, I understand that. But the, the deeper message was that you were made for relationship. You were never made to live in intentional isolation. Never. You're not wired for that. Every heart knows that deep down. Even those who want to live alone, even those who want to be left alone, there's something inside that just tugs at us because it's, been, it's, it's wiring from God. God is in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. So you being made in the image of God means what? You're wired for relationship. You can't get away from it, and you know it. You know that your heart beats for that. What's the most difficult aspect of life? A loss of relationship. A loss of a loved one and your heart aches and it continues to ache over and over. Why? Because we're wired for relationship. But here's a relationship that transcends all of the ones that we have here in this life. Okay? So the virgin, some have questioned, how does a virgin give birth? How does God create everything? I don't know. How does a man walk on water and multiply loaves and fish? If the first verse in the Bible is true, then is it hard to believe that a virgin gave birth? In the beginning, God. You only have two choices. Did you know that in Scripture? You have two choices. It's not complicated. You don't need a degree. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to have a degree in astrophysics. You have two choices in life. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, goo. That's all. Nothing in between. There's either God or there's goo. As, 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 as some writers have put it, if, if it's goo, it's from goo to you by way of the zoo. <laughs> as for me and my house, I don't like that one. Mm, 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 mm. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, goo. 
So if in the beginning God created, then everything else is, is, is reasonable, yes? Of course. If God spoke everything into existence out of nothing, then everything is reasonable. Everything works. Virgin birth works. So a sign, we realize a sign makes sense, right? If it's not a virgin birth, there's no sign. Women, you've been pregnant, right? Ladies, mothers, you've given birth. There was nothing special about conception. Even if there was medical intervention, it was regular conception. This is different. Something, something happened that was supernatural. That was the sign. The sign happened because she was a virgin. She knew not Joseph. She, 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 what, she had never been with Joseph in that way. So that's the sign. So where did her seed come from? The seed is promised in Genesis 3.15. The woman's seed will conquer the seed of the serpent, right? Her seed will conquer, will crush. Where did that seed come from? Didn't come from woman. Women have no seed. Came from above. That seed came from heaven. Who's the seed? Jesus. Okay? See it? See how it fits? John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, tabernacled with us. This is the truth of what we celebrate at Christmas. This is the Christ of Christmas, God with us. Now, what's the implications of God with us? There's an implication. Then we go to point two, point three, and we're done. Watch. Romans 8, 38 to 39. I am convinced, and you know, you know what this means at a heart level. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons Neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why does that, why does that reverberate at the deepest part of your heart? Because if you live long enough, every other relationship that you have will disappear. It'll go away. We're designed to die at this point. When sin entered into creation, we all die and decay and we go away. But there's one relationship that you can have that will never go away. There'll never be an empty chair. Never. At your table. When you're in relationship with Christ. You know what that means at a heart level. You know that you have been, even, even, even without death, you know that you've been separated from some. Some people have walked away. Some people have left. They've, they, they've gone. Jesus says, no. Jesus says, I am, I am with you, and I will never, ever, ever not be with you. God with us. The first most important point of Christmas, the Christ. Okay? Number two. If God is with us, there has to be something that goes with that. Now God is for us. It wouldn't serve us if we just had a God who was with us. Right? Have you ever been with somebody who was with you but wasn't for you? Nod your heads. Am I alone? Mm-hmm. That's a hurtful thing, right? Somebody with you but not really for you? That's life. We're broken people living in a broken world. That's what happens. But now we have a God that's not only with us, we have a God that's for us. Watch this. This is speaking to the heart. Remember, this is, all, this is the heart, but it, it's, it's, it's reasonable in the head. It fits. What then, Romans 8 31, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I never like to, I don't like to go in and change the scripture, right? Having studied the Greek and the Hebrew, I don't do that. But there are some times where I just, I kind of mess with it a little bit. So I'm going to do that right now for you, and we're going to do it together. Watch. Ready? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's how we read it. That would be the original Greek construction, but we're going to change it. If God is for us, who cares who's against us? 
really doesn't matter, does it? You ever had somebody against you? Of course you have. And if you haven't yet, just give it time. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's a coming. So, so, so you, you, you frame it for your own walk with the Lord. If, and God is, so remove the if, if you're in Christ. God is for me. Who cares who's against me? The whole world can rise up against you. And it wouldn't matter. Why? God is for you. And if God is for you, you're always on a winning team. That's what it means to be in Christ. Because there will be times when the whole world will seem like it's against you. Stuff at your office or in a relationship at home, the economy, you name it. I hear people tell me all the time, Pastor, this, everything, is up, everything is against me. Well, I can tell you one thing that's not. It's Jesus. He is, he is for you. So, look at Psalm 118. This is David. The Lord is with me. <laughs> Again, we'll, we'll, we're going to flip this. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Do you know who that, who that was coming from? That was a man that was being chased down by Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was a jealous man. They came back from war, and the people would line the streets, and they would cheer the, the war heroes coming in, and Saul would always get the accolades. But one day, the people said, Saul has killed his thousands, but Jesus is tens of thousands. Oh, that was enough for Saul. i got to get rid of this guy. Uh, David is tens of thousands. i got to get rid of David. So he's trying to kill David. David's on the run. But what does David say? So apply this to your own life. Go to the middle. I will not be afraid. Why will David not be afraid? Go to the beginning. Because the Lord is with me. That's why there's no reason to fear. So what difference does it make who has come up against you? David said, I will not fear. Why? God is with me. What can man do to me? Nothing that God doesn't allow. There's nothing. You, you look at the outstretched arms and the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ, and what do you know? Nothing happens to you that doesn't first pass through his nail-scarred hands. Nothing. And everything that happens to you, the Lord Jesus has sent to you for two reasons. Your good and his glory. Yes? David knew that. So he had no fear. Not, that's why he didn't need to kill Saul, and he could have. On a number of occasions, he trusted in God. He knew that God was with him, and he knew that God was for him. What's the implication? Don't miss this. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon forged against you will prevail. Now, what does that mean? Think of anything that's ever come up against you. But we can leave it in, in kind of categories. No, no sword, no spear, no sin, not even Satan himself. Nothing, nothing can come up against you and prevail. Why? God has promised because God is for you. So back to the passage. If God is for you, who cares who's against you? But can we talk? Don't you like people to like you? I'm not alone, am I? I? I like to be liked. I don't really want people to rise up against me. I, I, I want to be liked. We all want that. We, we do. But there are going to be times when we're not going to get that. And there's going to be no reason for it on our side. It's just the way it is. Because we're fallen, broken people dealing in a fallen, broken world with other fallen, broken people. And it just doesn't work out the way we think it should. 
So when we go through that, we have to know that there's something, there's something that doesn't change. And that's your relationship with Christ. It doesn't You can't. We've all messed up relationships, haven't we? We've hurt the people we love the most. Jesus says, you can't hurt me. I've paid for all of it. I love you. You know what's hard? I'm speaking to the Christian now, then I'm going to speak to the unbeliever in a moment. You know what's hard for you as a Christian to do? It's almost impossible for you to do this. All that I speak to on a a weekly basis. You know, when Jesus came out of the the Jordan, he had been baptized, and the the heavens opened, and, and the voice of God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know that. When was the last time you applied that to yourself? Yet that is what God speaks over your life every moment of every day. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's what God says over you every moment of every day, even those moments when you are turned away from him. Why? He only sees you in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the Christ of Christmas. So it really doesn't matter what comes up against you. You have a God who is for you. Finally, it's still not enough. God is with us and God is for us, but there's got to be something else. God is in us. Now I'm speaking to those who, who don't know this truth. It really doesn't matter to walk out of here and say, man, what a message. God is with me and God is for me. But if he isn't in you, none of that matters. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. If it isn't to you, it doesn't matter. There's no Christ in Christmas. It's just a holiday. It's a day off, a day to hang out with friends and family, eat some food, watch some games. Give some presents. What is that? And yet there are millions that celebrate Christmas that way. There's no Christ. So God in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Do you see that? You've been purchased. It's the terminology in in, in the ancient world of of paying a ransom, a a redemption price. You were were locked into sin and Satan and death. You, You had no hope. But God in Christ came and paid for you. And he didn't pay with some sheep and goats and turtle doves. He didn't give any gold bars. He paid with his blood. He hung on a cross and cried out, my God, my God, why? For you. Your name was on his heart. He had your picture of you in his mind. At Easter, we kind of mess with the kids a little bit. No, even in church. Hey, kids, what kept Jesus on the cross? 
Well, it was the nails, Pastor. No. No. What kept him on the cross? You. You did. His love for you. Not the nails. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I give it freely for you. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Is that your truth? Has the spirit taken up residency in your heart? Controlling your life? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You say, well, he doesn't control my life as much as I'd like. He doesn't control as much of my life as I'd like. Everything I do, I do imperfectly. Ask my wife. No, don't. Where's, oh, good, she's not in here. Ask my children. Everything we do, we do imperfectly. But our hearts beat for wanting to do it the right way. Our hearts beat for Christ. But we fail. But listen to this truth. We, we have a God who is big enough not only to love us unconditionally, but to forgive us fully and completely. You can't sin your way away from your Savior. It's been paid for. Yeah, there's consequences to, 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 to disobedience. Of course, all of that is true. But you, you can't mess the relationship up. That's the power of the gospel that transforms us. The Spirit lives in you. Acts 28, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. That's the gospel lived out. Witnessing for Christ. So what's the final implication? And then we'll close. Hebrews 13, 5. This is all about one thing. I'm constantly speaking to, to, to unbelievers, right? Talking about Jesus. Constantly speaking to those who say, you know, Christianity, all this stuff you guys believe, it's nothing, nothing more than a bunch of rules and regulations. Thou shalt not and thou shalt. That's all it is. Let me tell you something. There's thou shalt nots and thou shalt. They're there. But that is not Christianity. <laughs> Christianity is Christ. And it's a relationship to him. And when that relationship is lived out by grace through faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we begin to understand the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots. But that's not what this is. Why? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together for all eternity. So that means there was love, yes? Right, because you need a relationship to have love. So how was the world created? People talk about this unipersonal force. Listen to me carefully. People talk in all these religious worlds, this unipersonal force. There's this force, this mystical force out there. If that's true, how was the universe created? Out of love or out of power? Power. There was no love. There needs to be an object of love. There was no object if it's a unipersonal force. So, so if the world was created out of power, then what the unbeliever says makes sense. The strong will survive, right? The strong overcome the weak. It's the power. That's, that's the unbelieving. That's the atheistic worldview. That's, that's what makes sense if it was created out of power. But Christianity says no. No. We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means the universe was created out of what? Love. 
That changes everything. So God, God creates out of love because he's already in a relationship of love, but not because he needs love, but because he desires it from whom? You. That changes everything about the Christian worldview. Love is what drove God to send his son to a cross for you. Love. And he wants that relationship with you personally. God said, don't miss this. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, gives us the most powerful implication to God in us. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You ever been left? Don't nod your heads. Don't, don't, don't. Right? You ever been forsaken? Ever been denied? Ever been abandoned? We all have. If you live long enough, right, you go through all of that stuff. This is the only relationship in the universe, the only one, where that never happens. And no matter how bad you are on your side, you can't drive him away. It was said about me years ago. Years ago, not as much today as it was years ago. You do a good job driving people away. You're just so intense. You just drive people away. When I first became a Christian, you know now how I preached the gospel? I took the Bible and I whacked it over the back of people's heads. No, no, that's not figurative. <clears throat> you got to get this. I wish I could go back 20 years and tell all those people how sorry I am. I didn't understand. I just drove them away. This is a relationship you can't drive away. And when you understand that, it begins to change who you are. And you stop driving people away. You understand what true love really is. You know, even the unbelieving world, when they go get married, they use the chapter in 1 Corinthians, right? The love, love is patient, love is kind. What is that? It doesn't mean a thing without God. Without understanding who Jesus is, it doesn't mean a thing. True love is what held him on a cross for you. So the implication is clear. Is it your truth tonight that God is with you, God is for you, and God is in you? I want you to see a passage in John, and then we're going to go to a special final point. This is from John. Everybody was walking away from Jesus except the disciples. And you say to yourself, well, how many people were following him? We don't really know. But when you read about the feeding of the 5,000, there's 10, 15,000 people around who certainly had full bellies. But now they're walking away because his teaching becomes hard. He's speaking deep truths now, and they're walking away. So listen to these words from Jesus to his disciples. He's speaking these to you right now tonight. Listen. You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter, speaking for the whole group, answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What did Peter say? It really doesn't matter if the whole world walks away. Where are we going to go? 
you're it. You are eternal life. We don't care that they've all left. We're not going to go away. And in fact, after the resurrection, years down the road, all of them, based on church history, only one in Scripture do we know for sure, but church history tells us they all died a martyr's death except John on the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because they understood that love relationship was real. No, we won't walk away. It doesn't matter what it costs. We will never walk away from you. So now, ready? This will be worth the price of admission. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, seven great chronicles, the mythical place of Narnia, the fictitious story that he wrote, the lion and the witch in the wardrobe. There was a white witch. She was the self-proclaimed queen of Narnia. You know what her spell was? Listen to me. You know what her spell was? It's the spell that is cast over every single human heart without Christ. It is always winter, but never Christmas. That's the heart of every single one of us by natural birth. It's always winter. The heart is frozen. And yet it's never Christmas. But something happens in that story. Remember the four children, right? The four English children. And Edmund, the second to the, to, to the youngest, he had been captured by the white witch. Aslan was on the move in Narnia. And something began to happen. That frozen tundra began to thaw. Watch the words. Edmund realized the spell had been broken. All around them, he was on that sleigh ride with the white witch, but all around them, though out of sight, there were streams chattering, bubbling, splashing, and even roaring. Streams that had been frozen. And his heart gave a great leap when he realized the frost was over. Patches of green grass were beginning to appear throughout the forest. Aslan had broken the white witch's spell. In the final chronicle, the last battle, we read these words. All their life, the life you're living right now, all of it, in this world, and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's Christmas. That's the Christ of Christmas. The frost is over. Cold hearts have been thawed. And all that we're living here right now is only the cover and the title page. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard what waits for us on the other side. And every chapter on the other side that we live gets better than the chapter before. That's 
the true meaning of Christmas. That's what Christ has come to do. So now's a moment of invitation. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus has come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Your heart may have been frozen for years. You might be thinking to yourself, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. Jesus didn't say, go get clean before you come to me. He said, come now. I paid for all of that. I'm washing you with my blood. All that was nailed to a cross. Aslan is on the move. Is he moving in your heart tonight? And come to Christ. Tonight is a night of salvation. Tomorrow it may be too late. Come to Christ. Pray with me now. Father, if there's anyone here or by way of the internet who has never surrendered control to Christ, make this a moment of salvation. We're never saved by a prayer, but these words will suffice. Pray with me now if you've never prayed before. Oh God, I heard the gospel. I know that my heart was frozen, but I sense that Aslan the Christ is on the move. I'm sensing things I've never sensed before. This is a moment of salvation right now. Oh God, I cry out to you, be merciful to me. Give me the gift of eternal life. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. Give me the hope and assurance that nothing will ever separate me from my relationship with Jesus. I want to know this night that this, all of this is only the cover and the title page. And one day soon, we will enter into that great story where it will never end and every single day will be better than the day before. And there'll be no more sorrow and no more pain and no more death. For the old is gone and the new will have come. Come to Christ. Come now. And if you've been in Christ, praise him this night. And allow him to maintain the throne of your existence. Recommit this night to Jesus, the Christ of Christmas. In Christ's name, amen.